Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. And uh, we're back in Luke chapter 7 this morning, so if you have a Bible, uh, let's take it together and let's look at verses 36, and uh, we'll, we'll work our way down to verse 39. Again, it's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with, tear, with her tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." Now, we've been looking at this passage for three days. This is the fourth day. And the first day, on Monday, when we looked at the passage, we, we established a principle that there is a connection between alive in Christ and living the Christian life. The Christian life is, is the fruit of life, not um, the the ornaments that we put on a Christmas tree. Now, we've used that, that analogy a couple of times. If a person is a genuinely saved person, that new life in Christ produces something. And so this passage really gets to uh, the difference between a person who understands the gospel has placed their faith in Christ and how it affects them versus a person who in their self-righteousness is presenting themselves in a moralistic way, a self-righteous way. So we, we dealt with that in the introduction. Then on the second day, we talked about the heart of the problem. The Pharisee was a self-righteous man. Now, he didn't seem to realize that. He, he seemed like he didn't understand the, the true condition of his heart. But, but that's really what was at stake. Here's a man that believed he could earn his way into God's presence through his keeping of the law. And so the heart problem was that he was a self-righteous man. The third thing we looked at uh, was the catalyst for us basically seeing what was going on in the hearts of these two people. And that was a dinner. Jesus was invited as a guest to, to eat in this man's house. And the way that the man responds to Christ is going to tell us something about what's going on in his heart. The way that he responds to this woman is going to tell us something about the way that his heart is toward her. Well, this morning, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to focus in on this woman who came into the dinner. She was an uninvited guest, and she made a lot of people uncomfortable. And I want us to see uh, how this situation plays out, because it really gives us a lot of insight into what we've been talking about in this passage. So, notice again what it says. It says, there was a woman in the city, verse 37, who was a sinner. Now, everyone in the city is a sinner, but what he's basically saying is she was a notorious sinner. She was known for her sinful lifestyle. It also says that she knew that Jesus had gone into the Pharisee's house. It's almost as if this woman has been watching Christ. You say, well, why is she watching Christ? Well, ultimately, it's because she's become a disciple of Christ. She understands who he is, and her response is going to be a demonstration of the fact that she acknowledges her sin, she understands who Christ is, and Jesus is going to affirm this woman's value in this particular passage. We also see that the way that this woman comes into the house as an uninvited guest is something that really troubled the people. In fact, let me kind of kind of point you to those details. First of all, 
She had a bad reputation. She would not have been welcomed in the house. Secondly, she's very troubled. Thirdly, she has a reason to be troubled. And you might say, well, why was this woman so troubled? I mean, what would bother her about watching Jesus sit and eat in a person's house? Well, if you remember back to yesterday when we were talking about the way that this man welcomed Christ, there were several things that were notable that he did not do. The first thing is he did not either wash Christ's feet with a servant or himself, or even offer Jesus a, a bowl so that he could wash his own feet. That, that was something that would have been a huge violation of a cultural norm. The second thing is he didn't welcome him with the ordinary and uh, expected greeting of a kiss on the cheek when he enters into his house. Again, you could say that was kind of like an insult. And then the third is that if someone was a guest of honor, when they were welcomed into their house, not only would their feet have been washed, not only would they have been welcomed with, uh, a, with a kiss of endearment, welcome into our home, but he would have also been anointed with some kind of ointment that would have helped provide refreshment, maybe to the smell, um, just to help him be in a, pl a place where he knew that he was being welcomed as a guest. When this woman saw that Jesus was not dealt with that way, it really bothered her. And so that really, in my opinion, is at the heart of why this woman is so troubled. She's a sinner. She knows who Christ is. She understands that he's come to provide redemption. And she sees that this person of tremendous value and weight, the Messiah, is being disrespected in this man's house. That really, really troubled her. The second thing I like, I like to point you to is not just the guest, but how Simon responds. In verse 39, it says this, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, notice the statement, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Notice he did not verbalize what was going on inside. Simon was a person who cared about his reputation. He was a person that did not want to express how he felt inside for whatever reason, I would assume because he's trying to maintain a certain kind of disposition in front of the other people. But when he sees this in his heart, he says, who is this person that she would come into my house? And who is this man that he would allow her to cry at his feet, to, to wipe his feet with her tears and her hair and anoint him with oil? She, he says, who is this person? What does it show you? It shows you that Simon is a man who had disdain, not only for Christ, but also for this woman. This woman. He didn't value the woman. He didn't value Christ. Those are very important details in appreciating the passage. The third thing I want you to notice is that Christ exposed Simon's thoughts, and he did it for a reason. Christ could have just kind of let it go. He didn't have to bring it up. He didn't have to say, Simon, what are you thinking right now? But Jesus went to the point, and he had a reason for it. And there's actually several aspects to this reason. It's not just a negative reason. It's also a very positive reason. Notice what it says in verses 40 and 41. Jesus answering said unto Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. Now, Jesus was a master of getting to the heart of an issue you could say, in a somewhat roundabout way. 
it's not that Christ didn't have the ability to come straight to the point. And he could. In fact, by the end of this, this interaction, he is going to go straight to the point. But many times what Jesus would do when he would have a conversation is he would ask a question. He would give a parable and he would do it to get the person thinking so that when he came to them with the point, they would really get it. And so he tells a parable. We're not going to get into that this week. We'll get into it at another time. But but I want to go back to the question, why was Jesus uh, revealing the innermost thoughts of this man? The, the first is, he's going to expose that Simon is ultimately a hypocrite. I mean, Simon was a respected man. There were other Pharisees in the house. They all had the same problem, more than likely. I mean, they they had the same religious views. They were very close friends. Uh, nobody said, Simon, you, you disrespected Jesus. We need to go and wash his feet. You don't, you don't see anything like that. So these are very like-minded people. When when Jesus is, is, is dealing with Simon's problem, he's also dealing with their problem. But there's, there's a second side to this, and that is the positive. Not only is it negatively saying... You are being self-righteous and proud and looking down on this woman. But positively, he's affirming the value of this woman. He's saying, you know what? She is a sinner. She is someone who has a notorious reputation. But she is an image bearer. She's someone that I've done, that he hasn't gone to the cross yet for. But he's going to go to the cross for. He's going to establish a basis for this very sinful woman to be redeemed. And so he's not just saying, Simon, you're a hypocrite. He's saying, this woman who you disdain has value, and you need to value her the way that I value her. But there's a third thing he's doing. He's establishing this principle that our relationship to the gospel fundamentally shapes how we relate to people. The reason that this man, Simon, didn't value Christ and didn't value this woman is because he was not a redeemed man. He had never been faced with the reality of his sin, his inability to save himself, and the fact that he needed to be redeemed through the work of Christ, and he needed to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This man didn't come to face that reality. This woman, on the other hand, apparently has. And so we can see that that the fact that a person has embraced the gospel is going to shape how they relate to other people. I mean, a classic example of this is an issue like forgiveness, okay? Um, in, in Colossians chapter 3, he says that we are to put on as the elect of God, who are holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, compassion. And then he says, as Christ forgave you, so also you should forgive others. What's the point? The point is that you're a forgiven person. You understand the gospel. You understand God's grace. You understand how he's been kind to you. You need to do the same to other people. You understand that there is a connection. If you don't understand the gospel, you will not appreciate the connection. If you truly grasp the gospel and understand it, then you understand the implication of that. So this is a very rich interaction. It's a lot for us to, to glean from it. But I want to come to something very practical. You say, well, how do we... You know, what is the takeaway for me today, this morning, as I think about the passage? Let me give you three things that I hope you can chew on and apply. The first is this. God does not leave us where we are. God wants to confront us so he can change us and he can move us from where we are to where we need to be. And by the way, this principle was true of the woman. This principle was true of Simon. And this principle is true of you and me. 
If a person's not a believer, what is God's desire for them? God's desire is for them to come to an understanding of the truth and to place their faith in Christ. That is his desire. That is his will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The scriptures talk about God's desire towards people. If God wants to see people confronted with truth, that means he's got to actually confront us to bring us to that point. And so we see that illustrated. A second thing, he doesn't want us to view ourselves the wrong way. And by the way, both the woman and Simon had the potential to view themselves the wrong way, but in a different sense. Clearly, this man viewed himself the wrong way. He was self-righteous. He believed that, that he had a a justifiable cause to stand before a holy and righteous God through his own merits. He was wrong. And so his inaccurate view of self, his self-righteousness that was ultimately keeping him out of the kingdom of God and redemption and forgiveness, that self-righteousness had to be confronted. That view of self had to be addressed. On the other side, we have this woman. She understands that she's a sinner. She understands that she has a notorious reputation. She understands her guilt. The question is, does she understand her value? Just because a person is, is guilty and just because a person has broken God's commands does not mean that they are no longer valuable to God. And so here's a man who put his value in his self-righteousness. Here's a woman who needed to recognize her value as someone who God has provided redemption for. And so when Jesus speaks to Simon and speaks to the woman, he is affirming her value, and he's also emphasizing that Simon is self-righteous and needs the gospel. The the last application is this. There's a, a direct connection between my understanding of the gospel and how I see God, how I see myself, and how I see others. You cannot separate these matters. If I understand the gospel, I understand I'm a sinner. I stand in this position by grace. God loves me, but his holiness burns against my sin. You know what that does? That gives me clarity of position. When I look at other people, guess what? I see them having the same problem that I have, and I see them having the same potential to be saved, just like I can be saved. That means that there is equal footing at the cross. There, there is, in a sense, there's, there, there's an unbelievable equality that is established by the gospel message. And so if I understand the gospel, my view of God is corrected, my view of myself is corrected, and my view of others is corrected. As we think about this passage of scripture, I hope that the things that we've talked about this morning will really resonate in our hearts and that they'll shape how we view one another how we view ourselves, and how we view God. May the Lord take these things and really use them to be an encouragement to you today. Uh, If it's been an encouragement, I hope that you'll share that. Uh, Maybe share it on your page, uh, on your Facebook account. Uh, Maybe uh, drop a note and just say, hey, thanks for that. That was an encouragement. And uh, I hope that the word will get out that we're doing these Anchored in the Word studies. I think that they're real practical. They're simple. They're not real long. And I think that they can be a tremendous help. Have a blessed day. Bye now.